All right, so you can turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to finish this amazing chapter. Well, years ago, there was a group of tourists. uh, Obviously, these were people who chose to visit the city of Rome in Italy. And their reason for doing that is they had great interest in these, uh, these various places of the world, and they believed a trip like that would actually educate them concerning the history of Christianity. Well, one day they were scheduled to visit the, uh, the what's left of the Colosseum. You'll see in the picture here. Uh, obviously, the floor of the Colosseum's all gone these days. You can see what was underneath. But anyway, upon their arrival at the Colosseum, there the the the, uh, the they had hired a guide uh, to help them tour the Colosseum. And the first story he told them concerned the deaths of. Uh, a vast number of Christians within that very building there. And they questioned him as to whether relics of those former days could still be obtained. And the guy turned to them, and he answered them by saying this. He said, gather dust from the Colosseum. It is all the martyrs. This has been the end of many of heroes of the faith. Not all of them, of course. Many died there. And they died taking a stand for Jesus Christ and for the cause of Christ. And they stood firm for God and they uh, laid down their lives because of the truth and because of Jesus Christ. And today, as we come to the conclusion of Hebrews 11, we're going to examine what happened to some of the Old Testament heroes of the faith, some of them, and many of them laid down their lives too. So let's read from Hebrews 11, God's words. These are the words of the living God from Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. Verse 32 says, And what more shall we say? Like, we've already had 31 verses. (laughs) Well, what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That ends chapter 11. So we got some heroes of the Old Testament mentioned here. I hope they're, though they are flawed, 
in many ways. Every single one of these people have some serious flaws, just like I do. Uh, they are, nevertheless, God has put them here as heroes of the faith. So who are these heroes of the faith, particularly the ones mentioned in verse 32? Well, notice it starts with Gideon. Uh, Gideon was a judge. Uh, God used Gideon to free Israel from the oppression of particularly the Midianites. And uh, he had started with a rather significant-sized army, but God whittled his, his army down to only... 300 men, and God used 300 men to defeat an army of 135,000 soldiers. And in the process proved that God's people gained victory, not through military might and strength, but through unreserved commitment to God. (laughs) So they didn't even have missiles and atomic bombs and machine guns and all kinds of cool weapons. It It was torches and trumpets. Isn't that an amazing story? Well, that's the first one mentioned. The next, number two, is Barak. By the way, I don't have outlines for you today. but and So Barak is mentioned here, and you need to understand something of the context here again. So this is, again, taking place during the time of the judges before the monarchy arrived in Israel. And so at this time, the Canaanites had a large, powerful army. And the Bible says uh, this particular army had boasted of 900 iron chariots. I mean, these were like the top military weapons of the day. Imagine 900 tanks, for example. Uh, it's kind of the equivalent, or 900 atomic bombs or whatever. I don't know. But, but uh, <clears throat> I don't know, because we don't, other than Mitsubishi, we don't drive around in chariots anymore, do we? So uh, according to the Lord's instruction, though, a woman named Deborah asked Barak, to assemble an Israelite force of only 10,000 men. And interestingly enough, the Bible says they were only taken from two of the tribes of Israel. They could have gathered a bigger army, couldn't they? But the rest of the tribes were not asked to participate, apparently showing Israel as well as the Canaanites that God could be victorious with just a token army, just a small part of Israel was able to defeat a larger army because God was with them. The third hero mentioned in your text is Samson. (laughs) I know, I know, some of you are, if you know your Bibles and you know your Old Testament people, you're like, Samson's mentioned here? Really? Yeah, he is. God puts him here. Uh, Samson is not usually remembered for his faith, that I don't usually put him in that category. If God hadn't done it, I wouldn't be doing it. What is he usually known for, right? Big muscles? Long hair? I don't know. Uh, that's, the, that's the imagery I remember, you know, when I was a little, when I was a little twerp and my teacher in Sunday school is putting pictures on the, on the board for me. That's, that's what I remember. His physical strength, maybe uh, his, his gullibility. His bad choice of women, I don't know. That's, that's what I remember of him. But in many ways, he was very immature, obviously very self-centered, unable to cope with this miraculous power that God had given to him. But nevertheless, God says he's a man of faith. <laughs> he never doubted that God was the source of his power. That, that shows some faith. By the way, the hair 
The hair was only a symbol. (laughs) I hope you understand that. The source of his power was not the hair. Nevertheless, Samson was a judge of Israel. He was given a very special task of, of opposing the Philistines. At that time, they were the ones who were ruling over Israel. Now, Samson's own motives for fighting the Philistines were, were a mixed bag, so to speak. But nevertheless, <laughs> despite his own selfishness and so forth, he, he knew he was doing God's will, and he was doing it through God's power. The fourth hero of the Old Testament mentioned here is Jephthah. And again, if you know, if you know your Bible, uh, I wouldn't be putting him here in this category, but God does. Again, it's an interesting choice of people. Jephthah was a judge that God used to break the power of the Ammonite domination over Israel. He was willing to face the enemy in battle, because not because he was awesome or he had some awesome army, but just because... His faith was in God's power to give him the victory. And so despite uh, the fact that uh, this this father, he was a father who made a very foolish vow that the first thing that came out of his house was going to be killed and sacrificed, and sadly his daughter was the first thing that he saw. I think that was a very foolish vow. But nevertheless, Jephthah's trust was in God, and his power, of course, came from God. And this, this, there's many lessons we can learn from these people, but one comes to my mind is that even people of faith make mistakes. Even people who have great faith in God still make mistakes, and nevertheless, God honored Jephthah for his faith, not his foolishness. The fifth hero of the faith mentioned here is David. David was the founder of the great dynasty, eventually from David comes the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and David displayed tremendous faith in God in many ways. Uh, one of the, the, the great cool stories of the Bible is when David defeated the giant Goliath, right? I mean, the whole army of Israel's cowering in the trenches, not willing to, to fight Goliath, and here's just a little boy or a teenager comes along, and he says, where's your courage, guys? The whole army of Israel is not willing to take him on, but the boy comes along with a sling and some stones, and God uses him to defeat Goliath. David showed great faith as in, in all the running from King Saul. The, the king of Israel was trying to kill him, but nevertheless, David remained firm in his faith in God. David had great uh, a great attitude toward God's promises. Uh, he, he was firm in, in, that God's promises would be true, particularly uh, the, the future of the throne of Israel. There's a great, uh, you've probably heard of the great uh, covenant called the Davidic covenant, I hope, that one day the Messiah would come, would rule and reign, and, and he did. And of course, David, you know, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. And God called him, nevertheless, the fact that he's still a sinner, God called him a man after his own heart. A man who would do all God's will. And so he pleased God because of the courage of his faith and the trust in God, and he was willing to do God's will even though it might be hard. Number six hero is mentioned in your Bible there is Samuel. Samuel. Now one thing that distinguishes Samuel from the other ones is Samuel's not a warrior. He's not some awesome soldier. He... 
He did fight a, a battle equal to any soldier would face, though. His, his great foes were not necessarily soldiers, but Samuel's great enemies were idolatry and immorality. He had to stand up in a polluted society and fearlessly speak God's truth to his people there. His harshest opponents, would you believe, were not the Canaanites, but his own people, Israel. And you probably know it takes great courage to stand up to your own people, to your own family, to to come up against friends who seem to be worse than your enemies. Social pressure can be more frightening sometimes than military power for some people. Well, this prophet of God was faithful to God throughout his life. Praise God. So that's the the ones that are mentioned here by name. What did they do? Here's your second question to consider from the text. What did they do? Number Well, well first of all, we see the, the author of Hebrews it gives us a list of some actions that were taken from these Old Testament heroes. And it's, it's coming from them simply because they believed God. The first one mentioned here is they subdued kingdoms. These heroes subdued kingdoms. Now, you're not going to see names mentioned here, so so it's kind of a bit of an inference. If you look back in your Old Testament, you know your history there, you you can kind of pick up on what who who God's talking about there. But surely one of the people God must be talking about here is Joshua. And Joshua led Israel in the conquest of the promised land of Canaan by driving out those people who, who were there inhabiting the land. By the way, this is not genocide. That land belonged to Israel. This is a little rabbit trail, but um, God had promised that land. The promise, that's why it's called the promised land. God had promised that to Israel. And these people had been, God was very long-suffering, by the way. Hundreds of years. They had opportunities to repent. God would have spared them if they did, but they did not repent. And so the, the judges overthrew the, the various oppressors of Israel during that time period. Number two, what did they do? They performed righteousness. Through faith, they, this was accomplished. So they, they both led holy lives. They governed their people according to righteousness. And, and in fact, it even says that of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 8. Number three, they obtained promises. Well, of course, they never saw the complete fulfillment of God's promises or His covenant with Abraham. Remember God's promise, His covenant with Abraham? We call it the Abrahamic covenant. Well, there's, You can read that in the first couple verses of Genesis chapter 12, if you're not familiar with that. But what what they did see was the fulfillment of specific promises made to them by God. And as they were promised, Joshua conquered the promised land of Canaan, and Gideon and, and others uh, uh, overcame their oppressors. God used the judges to accomplish His purposes. And eventually, the great King David comes along, and God puts him on the throne. We see that... Uh, next, number four, that God shut the lion's mouths. I hope you're familiar with this story. I don't have time to go in depth on this, but 
what a great story when God sent an angel right there in the lion's den. He shut the, the mouths of those lions. Daniel could have been consumed. Daniel could have, been, have died for his faith in God. But nevertheless, God protected Daniel. And he was protected from harm because of his faith. That's what it says in Daniel chapter 6. It's a great story. I encourage you to read Daniel 6 if you haven't already. And number five, the, the fifth thing mentioned here is th- these heroes of the faith quenched the power of fire. So again, coming from Daniel, you probably know the story, hopefully, where God honored the faith of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How did he do that? Well, these guys refused to worship an idol. They refused to bow the knee to King Nebuchadnezzar and even though under threat of death, they refused to bow down and worship because God was the only true God. And so because of that, they were thrown into the flames. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, and God ended up sparing them. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 3. So they, they themselves didn't quench the fire, but it, it kind of appeared that way, at least to King Nebuchadnezzar. And then number 6, we see they escaped the sword. Well, we, we see many examples of this. Uh, for example, Moses escaped the sword of Pharaoh. He didn't die. Elijah escaped the sword of Queen Jezebel. Queen Jezebel had killed many prophets of God, but Elijah was spared. And the other prophet, Elisha, was also spared by God. He escaped the sword of King Jehoram, who at the time was the king of Israel. Those are just some of the examples we see specifically mentioned in the Bible. Number seven is we we see here, these people, these heroes were made strong from weakness. Uh, One person that comes to my mind is Samson. You remember after Samson, God took his strength away from Samson, and Samson was blinded and became a prisoner of the Philistines. The Bible says that he received his strength at the end of his life. Uh, There he was, he was... He was attached to the, to the, to the two great pillars of, of that temple to the false god Dagon. And God gave him great strength again to accomplish a great victory. Gideon, who was the least important individual in his father's house, the Bible says. The Bible also says that, that through his faith, though, he wrought great triumphs for God. And he was called a mighty man of valor. David, as a young man, successfully defeated uh, the great warrior Goliath. Those are just a few how we see God taking weakness and showing himself strong. The last one mentioned here in the text is, number eight, they became courageous and they turned armies to flight. Well, this was repeated many times throughout Israel's history. So as long as God's people had faith in Him, God continued to grant them victory over their enemies. But when they turned to to idols and themselves, they often lost and God used the enemies to defeat them. And it's interesting, you could refer to all kinds of people, even the ones already mentioned here. There's so many, Joshua, Barak, Gideon, uh, the list goes on and on and on. But a third question we need to look at here, moving on, we see they suffered greatly. 
heroes, these heroes of the faith suffer greatly. What did they suffer? Well, the first one mentioned in verse 35 is they were tortured. You see that verse 35? They were tortured. Because it says some were tortured. That probably refers to the use of that wheel-like rack upon which victims would be stretched and they would be beaten mercilessly, usually to the point of death. And it's interesting, the end of verse 35 means there that they were more willing to die than to to apostatize and to deny the faith. It, it could refer to the experience of Eleazar, who was a 90-year-old scribe. The Bible mentions him. He, uh, well, sorry, the, the inter, he's he's mentioned in the intertestamental period, actually. Uh, Eliezer, whose faith remained strong and firm even during torture. You can read about him in the Greek Septuagint, uh, which uh, some people believe is what this is referring to. Number two is uh, these people were mocked. They were mocked. This has always been the response of unbelievers, the world toward those who desire to please God, toward those who desire to do what's right. Uh, we, we could list a, a whole host of names here. For example, Elisha was mocked by some little children, the Bible says. Uh, other messengers of God were mocked by various people, even in Israel. Even the Israelites mocking their, their own prophets and others whom God had sent. This was sadly a a normal thing for great heroes of the faith. And number three is they were flogged. This term indicates a a lashing using a brutal whip. It was something that was endured by, by, by many people, and one in particular comes to my mind is the prophet Jeremiah. You can read about that. Even in chapter 20 of Jeremiah, he was flogged. And number four is imprisonment. Imprisonment. Well, that's the experience of people like Joseph, uh, Micaiah, Hanani, and as well as the prophet Jeremiah. They were all imprisoned for their faith. Stoning also occurred uh, for many faithful men and women of faith. An example of this was the stoning of Zechariah, who was, he was called the son of Jehoiada whose death was accomplished right there in the court of the temple when he, he the Bible says he told the people that the reason they were not prospering was they had forsaken God and they had transgressed God's commandments. Well, that doesn't win, win you friends when people want to do their own thing. And so he was stoned. You can read it in 2 Chronicles 24. Well, the Bible goes on to say, say that some were sawn in two. And according to ancient tradition, doesn't mention it specifically in your Bibles, but as far as we know, the prophet Isaiah was stuck inside a hollow log, and they cut him in two. Apparently, that's how he died. Number seven, we see here they were killed with the sword. Some prophets during the time of Ahab, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were slain in this particular manner. The Bible says this in 1 Kings chapter 19 that prophets of God were slain 
And uh, there, there were others, of course, throughout Old Testament history who died through this means as well. And then there's, there's many different words mentioned there in verse 38 for something I'll just, I'm just going to call it poverty. These people were destitute. They were, they were, they were having a hard, difficult life because of their faith in God. And, and so this is the experience of, of hundreds of prophets. Some of them, uh, mentioned by Obadiah. Obadiah, the Bible says, was able to hide some some of these these faithful people from Queen Jezebel, so that she she couldn't kill them. Uh, Elijah had suffered poverty. The prophet Elijah, you remember, he had to flee, and and God even used a uh, a widow, a poor widow, to provide for him. And and even another time, remember, God even used birds to bring him food. <laughs> That's how poor the guy was, right? In great poverty. But what does all of this teach us? Why has God put these people in these these events here for us? What are they teaching us? Well, number one, here's here's something for you to consider. What matters is not the circumstances in which we find ourselves, but our faith in God. That's what matters. Above all, all the other things, a lot of various circumstances happening here in this chapter. But notice what verse 39 says. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. (laughs) That's what verse 39 says. So Christian faith, my friends, doesn't guarantee you comfort and prosperity and wealth in this world. I know that's not going to sit well with the prosperity gospel. But what do the prosperity gospel preachers do with chapter 11? Just cut it out of their Bibles? I mean, what do you do with all the mockings and the, the floggings and uh, the, the murders and the killings and so forth here and the poverty? Well, it, it's there. We have to deal with this. But what we do see, though, even though we're not guaranteed comfort and prosperity and wealth and so forth in this life, nevertheless, what do we do see? That God delivers some from trouble, sometimes, like Daniel, was delivered from the mouth of the lions. But others, he, he delivers in the trouble. It's not the same for everybody. For example, God, one thing that comes to my mind in the New Testament is, remember, God sent an angel to free the apostle Peter from prison. Saved his life at that moment. But later on, Peter dies. And then Peter's friend, James, was beheaded. And so my friend, please understand that God may place us on either side of this record. You might get to die for Christ. You might be freed. You might get saved from death. And so on the side you know, of those who conquered in success, you, you might be on the side of those who conquered in defeat. Either way, it's still victory. And what matters is not the circumstances. By the way, don't compare yourself to other people. That's The Bible says is unwise. But... What matters here is the faith in which we may conquer in all circumstances. So that's something we can learn from this, my friends. It's not the circumstances that we find ourselves that matter, but our faith in God. What else does it teach us? Number two, that faith suffices while we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. Sometimes it's hard to wait, isn't it? It is 
It is so hard. Many blessings come to the Christian in this life. We could all recount many blessings. But, but the great point of the chapter is found right there in verse 39, where it says, All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Now, this is partly because the promises of God are beyond what can, they, they can be received in your mortal existence in this life. Therefore, faith suffices for any man or woman of God because, why? Faith perceives. That, didn't we see that way back at the beginning of Hebrews 11? What does faith do? It perceives. It's able to make real the things that are yet unseen. That's what faith does through God's enabling in your life. A third lesson to learn here is that times of trial demand faith. And sometimes this is when it especially demands faith. When life gets difficult or uncertain. And this letter, by the way, was written to people who were tempted to fall back into the so-called old faith because of the persecution. And earlier, the author reminded them of a time when their own heroes suffered all, all sorts of things. It's, some of the record is even mentioned here. And it's only those who stand firm in faith, even in hardship, who are joined to this honor roll of salvation. Indeed, my friends, this is what trials do. Trials test us. They try our faith. They're revealing what's inside. It's kind of like a tea bag. Right? Put a tea bag in your cup and you add the hot water. What's the hot water doing? It's revealing what's what's in the tea, right? It's bringing out what's in the tea and that's that's exactly what trials do in our lives. God's kind of like adding the hot water and he's he's squeezing us in a way. And it it is it's testing, it's trying and and God's burning away the dross. So what is left over is something that's pure and precious and glorious to God. The fourth lesson is this, my friends, that in the end, when all else is gone in your life, what's going to matter is your faith. Right? How did Jesus put it? Right? What is it? Jesus said it this way, right? What does it profit a man? You can gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Wow, that's, that's a terrible scenario. So what really matters is your faith. It's, it's only through faith in Christ that we're saved. If you think of the great variety of the heroes that are mentioned even here in our text, just think about it. There's a great variety there. I mean, some of them were Jews, some were not Jews. Some of them were rich, some were poor. Some were male, some were female. Some were loved, some were hated. <laughs> Some of them were successful, some were not very successful, right? There's, there's a wide range here. So my question for you, my friends, is this. What is it that puts their names on this list of God's beloved? What puts them here? Obviously, it's not all those other things I mentioned, right? It's their faith. That's the only thing that puts them on God's beloved list, their faith. And their faith is all that really mattered. So my friend, please recognize, faith is precious. It is precious. It is never to be denied, never given up. It's not worth it. You say, why? Well, with faith, you gain 
Christ, you gain the forgiveness of your sins, and you gain life everlasting. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. Well, we're quickly coming to the end here. Let me just point out a few other questions for you. Why did they endure? You say, wow, these people went through some horrible things, many of them. How did they endure? Why did they do this? Number one, they saw the invisible city of God. Not with their physical eyes. but With the eyes of their spiritual heart. Because look what verse 16 says. Verse 16 applies to these people too. Because <laughs> verse 16 says, But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Wow. A city. The new Jerusalem. It's prepared for all believers. That's good news. Why did they endure? Number two, it says, because they believed that suffering for the sake of Christ was better than having all of the riches in the world. That's what verse 26 says. Verse 26 says, as it talks about Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. God enabled by faith for Moses to see something bigger and better beyond this life. May God grant you the same ability. And number three, they looked forward to their own resurrection. Their own resurrection. As verse 30, the end of verse 35 mentions that some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. And by the way, God does not believe in reincarnation. This is not going from a cockroach to a rat or, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, oh, no, no. You, you, get, you get a body, but it's a glorified body, an, an incorruptible body. It's the same, well, it's not the same body you have now, but you know what I mean, right? You get a body in heaven. You're not a disembodied person in heaven. <laughs> but it's incorruptible, undefiled, the Bible says. And so these people endured because they were looking toward the resurrection. They had a better future to look forward to. It wasn't their best life now. No, that's not how you get through torture. You don't get through torture and persecution and trials through believing this is your best life now. No, you, you get through it by believing your best life is in the future. That's how they did it. What did they receive? What did they receive, number one? Well, in the past, the Bible tells us they received a temporary approval of God. Temporarily, verse 39 mentions that all these, though commended through their faith. Notice they were commended in the earthly existence they had at that time. God commended them. And He even puts them in the Bible, despite all their faults. God commends them. But in the future, we also know God will approve of them in an eternal way. Because look what verse 40 says. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. That's good news. That's how you can do it, my friends. You, you, you have to look to God's commendation here 
but not most importantly here, but the future. So I ask you, my friends, do you really have faith in God? Do you believe His Word so strongly that your faith could endure the kind of sufferings and the persecutions that these people endured? I know, that's, that's really hard to, to say that in the comfort of we have nice heating and we got a roof over our heads and nobody's, nobody's attacking us at this moment and you're sitting on, well, some of you are sitting on padded chairs. You know, the worst suffering that some of you are going through is you're sitting on a plastic chair and you have to listen to me for an hour. But, uh, you, you know, some people have gone through far worse, right? Well, I like what... Um, Mr. Houghton wrote in his book, The Sketches from Church History, he said this, quote, Much of the information that survives about Christians in the early centuries of our era concerns their sufferings. The rulers and the governors in that period of history were often willing to use the most inhumane and cruel methods to blot out Christianity. Thousands upon thousands of the early Christians sealed their faith with their blood. They were beheaded. They were burnt at the stake thrown to wild beasts to be torn to pieces and devoured, and they were cast into boiling oil. Their bodies were mutilated and tortured in as many different ways as men hostile to their beliefs could invent and devise. Yet their faith often sparkled like a precious stone as they faced their persecutors. And some of them spoke words which have echoed down the long corridors of time. And I'm going to mention one of my favorites. One of the disciples of the Apostle John was Polycarp. By the way, they tried to kill the Apostle John. He was one of the ones they threw in boiling oil before they ended up exiling him. But Polycarp was a pastor, an elder. And one of the things that they did during those days, a usual test applied to Christians, was they would, they would try to force the Christians to call Caesar Lord to worship Caesar as if he was some divine person. And refusal to do so would usually end in death for the believer. Well, Polycarp was taken before the Roman proconsul and was required to say this oath and to venerate Caesar as God. But he was firm in his refusal. He refused to worship Caesar. And so the Roman proconsul said, Hey, Polycarp, I have wild beasts I can feed you to. And if you refuse, I will throw you to them. Polycarp said, Send for them. If you despise the wild beasts, I will send you to the fire, said the proconsul. Swear and I will release you. Deny Christ. And here's what Polycarp says, famous words. Eighty-six years I have served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? You threaten the fire that burns for an hour and then is quenched. But you know not of the fire of the judgment to come, and the fire of the eternal punishment. Bring what you will. The consul was astonished. He sent a herald to announce to the people that Polycarp has confessed himself to be a Christian. When the torch was applied to the wood and smoke and the flames encircled him, here's what Polycarp was said to have prayed. 
He said, Lord God, Father of our blessed Savior, I thank you that I have been deemed worthy to receive the crown of martyrdom. And then I might die for you and your cause. That's what he said, apparently. And so it's recorded that the, 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 the vast multitude marveled at the great difference between the unbelievers and the believers. And they saw what Christian obedience really means. They saw someone who had faith in God. And he's willing to stand for it and die for it. And my friends, Polycarp was no fanciful fool. He was a true hero of the faith. And I thank God for men who were willing to sacrifice their very lives for the truth, to sacrifice for Christ. So here's something for you to consider. Will you pledge to follow the faithful example no matter the cost? Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great examples we are called to imitate here in the Hall of Faith of Hebrews 11. And we're thankful for people who aren't mentioned here, many women and children and men of the faith as well. We, we could look all through the corridors of time. We're thankful that you gave them grace. You enabled them to endure. And we're thankful for the great reward and your commendation upon their lives. We're thankful for a great resurrection a glorious future to look forward to. So may we have, would you grant us and give us eyes of faith, spiritual eyes that are able to see beyond this life, to see the great realities of heaven and and Christ and a glorious future reserved for all believers in Christ. For any unbeliever here today who, who is not believing in Christ, may they see their only hope for a glorious future is for faith in Christ, not in themselves or anything else. Would you grant them repentance that leads to eternal life? Those of us who are believers, who are genuine Christians, may we keep trusting all through our lives, even through the uncertain days we are now facing. And many of us might even become martyrs ourselves in the days to come. May you give us grace to endure faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.